Welcome to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. This special series features some of Milwaukee's most distinguished leaders. They'll share how they overcame challenges, developed their skills, and achieved success, so you can gain insight and inspiration. And now, Leadership is in Session. Well, hello, everybody. We are in the studio today with our friend and colleague, Bernard Roming of the Literacy Labs Leading Men Fellowship. And Bernard, welcome in. <laughs> Thank you. So glad you're here. You are the program director of the Literacy Labs Leading Men Fellowship, and you have significant personal and professional interest in literacy and teacher preparation. What are the Literacy Lab and Leading Men Fellowship? What do you do? So the Literacy Lab is a nonprofit organization that really believes that literacy is a human right. And so what we do is we serve ages three to grade three because we know based on like different racial and economic inequities, we know many students aren't getting the literacy services that they deserve and need in order to be successful in terms of academics, but just long-term life success. And so that's what we do and focus on. And our mission is to provide those services. The Liedemann Fellowship does this by hiring young men of color ages 18 to 24 to go work in pre-kindergarten classrooms as literacy tutors for a whole school year. So they're working with the same classroom for the entire school year, building a really great relationship with those students and teachers and families, providing some great services. But then outside the classroom, though, with our fellows, we work with them as young men in terms of personal professional development. And so we'll cover things like college and career guidance, self-identity and understanding themselves as in their own manhood, as well as some more tangible things like resume writing and applying for the FAFSA. <laughs> so some really concrete things as well. So it's a nice, robust program that kind of serves many gaps. So it's addressing the early literacy opportunity gap, as well as providing young men professional opportunity and then hopefully diversifying the teaching workforce. So we asked you here today because we really wanted to get your thoughts on all of these things and something you were so passionate about, and that is education to career pathways and something you just mentioned. I mean, representation in the profession matters. How did you get started in this work? So when I get asked that, I think I always go back to my parents. <laughs> That's where it starts for me. So both my parents were former public school teachers, now retired. So education has always been so important in my family, just personally. And education is a vehicle for empowerment. And it's just really necessary. But my role in this kind of started as a young student, myself going to my mom's second grade classroom and tutoring and doing those things. So really, just really just seeing the benefit that you get just as a person, personal benefit to like serve others and help others. So I've always been working like in a self-service kind of field This now profit world. I've done things like work in-home therapy for children with autism. I've helped adults with disabilities find community employment, really just really addressing access and barriers and trying to remove as many barriers as possible so people can really actualize their potential, be like my career. Maybe I was too close to seeing educators work day in, day out, so I never really joined the classroom, but I think I've always been focused on just helping children and families however I can. So you mentioned the word access and barriers to access. What sort of barriers are there to access for young men of color, whether they're entering the teaching profession or perhaps one of the other adjacent helping professions? Yeah. So in terms of education, I think one of the barriers is just our education 
K-12 education system as it exists now. And so we know that many young men, many people of color, they go through that education system. I was one of them. It doesn't really feel very welcoming. You don't really feel very empowered. You probably are more like in survival mode, right? You're surviving K-12 education more than you're really feeling empowered. And so to ask somebody, do you want to go back into that environment? That's kind of our first challenge is really finding young men that are wanting to like do something, wanting to give back or wanting to serve and then showing them this is a way they can serve. And so we kind of have to address that harm first of all, but then show them that they have a, a role that they can actually play in, in being that person that they wish they had. They could be that young teacher that they wish they may have had when they were in elementary school. And so that's kind of one of the things. And then the other thing is just opportunities. And so simple things, like I said, like applying for the FAFSA, applying for colleges, knowing the different opportunities that are out there, knowing the different pathways, whether that's community college or a four-year degree. And so kind of knowing what you need to in order to kind of advance your professional skills and get that opportunity. So that's kind of what we really do in our years, showing those young men the pathway to being a, having a career in education. So I have had the opportunity, and truly it's been a privilege to spend some time with the Leading Men Fellows in a few different capacities, including in the classroom. I have seen them at work. I have had the opportunity to ask them questions about how they arrived at doing what they do. But talk to us a little bit about the type of men who make good fellows, the ones who you think, oh, wow, you know, you may see or encounter a young man and say, wow, I think he is definitely for this program. I think some of it, it makes me even not want to answer that question because I think I'm always open to surprises. Sometimes we're surprised by the young man that, that turns out to be like, you know what, I found my passion and my calling through teaching. But I think really the first thing is commitment. And so I think the young men themselves find out very early on that they're accountable to the, not just the teacher, but the students. So they find out very early that if they miss a day, there's a three-year-old or four-year-old asking them, where were you yesterday? Why weren't you at school? We missed you. So that commitment is really important. It's only a 10-month commitment, but it's important that we have young men that sign up and really stay through the whole year. And then it's coachability. And so we are going to show them a lot of new things. And it's okay if you don't get it right the first time. Nobody expects you to, but are you coachable? And we can work with you to like learn how to read a book. So like, how, how do you read a book with like a script that has questions of stopping and asking? asking, what do you think is going to happen next? Or remembering to review, like, oh, what did we just talk about? What did we read? So it's really that coachability, as many young men kind of might think they, already, they know the world, right? At 17, 18, they know everything. And so we really want somebody that's coachable that can, we can work with and show them all the great tools and techniques that we have. And then, but also then brings themselves into it as well. So it's not just like a script, like you must do this very robotically, but then how do you take what we show you in terms of a curriculum and then infuse it with your own personalities? Because that's really what we're going for, right? Is that representation of of how do we take that's a very neutral curriculum or book and then infuse it with a young man's personality and experiences. And that's really what we're really looking for. So someone that can really take all those things and stay for the whole year and really provides like a really amazing experience for the young children. So you mentioned something that I actually observed. I have been, as I said, in the space with some of the fellows at Nextdoor Capital and watching the children respond to them as they're working through their daily work. And their daily work is is pretty regimented. And that's really a hallmark of the Literacy Lab. I mean, this is, you are doing this work and it is backed by data and best practices. What is that like? What is that data? What is that information? Yeah, so the curriculum or framework we use is called SEEDS. So it is like evidence-based. It's been researched and proven to have success with young children. And so that's kind of why we really want to make sure that they are following the model because we know asking these questions, doing these interventions has an impact on a student's ability to learn and learn how to read and write. 
And so a fellow will do many different interventions during the day. As you said, it'll start off with sign-in. So that's where a fellow will pull a student aside one at a time and practice writing their name. The beginning of the year, it's their first name. By the end of the year, it's first and last name. Um, they'll sing a lot of transition songs. So they'll sing songs such as like Letters Have Names or a rhyming song. And they'll learn these songs and like learning how to kind of blend that in. So say we're going to go outside for recess. Well, now's a good time to sing a song. I think about when I try to alphabetize something. I always have to sing my ABCs first. So we learn so much through song. That's kind of why it's one of the tools we use. And then the other technique we use is um, read out loud. When they say how do you read a book that's really teaching vocabulary and early reading comprehension through it. And so that's what the fellow learns how to do. And that's really, like again, that's a SEEDS approach. It's an acronym that stands for like how to be like sensitive, how to encourage, how to educate, how to develop skills, and ultimately how do you develop a self-image with a young person. SEEDS is so great that we actually kind of very softly or maybe secretly use that with the young men themselves. We call it seedsy. So we're very seedsy with them as well. We are planting seeds in our young men as well. So we're sensitive with them. We encourage them and we're really developing their self-image as a young man and as an educator. That is absolutely something I have observed and in speaking and spending time with the fellows. They talk a lot about their work in the classroom and some of the things you mentioned, like the kids miss them when they're not there. They're like, where were you, Mr. So-and-so? You know, you missed a day with us. We learned so much. But then a lot of the other things they talk about is really that fellowship and that brotherhood and the fact that it's a cohort model and that you are working with these young men on different life skills. Why is that so critical to their journey? through this program. You talked about research, right? And we know that um, research shows that the ages between like 18 and 24 is a really pivotal time, especially for young men. I think studies show there's higher rates of depression and suicide in young men of color in those ages. So we know we're going through a lot of transitions. We also know when we graduate high school, the world is like, all right, you're an adult now. Mm. And we all remember that time of like, okay, but what does that mean? What do I do? Where do I go? For many of us, maybe we go to college and we are semi-adults in college and we know that we are having chances to make mistakes while we're in college, but also rebound and, and you know, continue. And so that's kind of what we're trying to do with this year with the fellows. Bring them together as a fellowship. And when we say fellowship, we actually mean even beyond Milwaukee. So this program is in seven other states. And so every year we start off the year by like an onboarding week where we call it our Ascend Week and we go to a different city all together. So last year it was in Atlanta. This year it'll be in Cincinnati. So you can imagine the power of having 150 young men from across the country all signed up to work with pre-kindergarten students. It's a really powerful experience that they can really just see that they're connected and they're not alone, right? They have there's many other young men like them that are looking to do something like this. It's also very new and challenging, so they're going to go through, have that experience. And then the next steps, too. So they have people they can turn to as they go to college and all those different things, early career experiences. So we really try to encourage them to, as alumni, also stay in touch and in how to support each other throughout the years. So you mentioned two cities where the fellows work, two of which are Atlanta and Cincinnati. And there are more cities. What are those cities and why were those sites chosen? Yeah, so the cities we're in, so D.C. is like kind of our home base after the Ladies Lab started, is in D.C., and we're also in Baltimore. We're in Virginia, Atlanta, Cincinnati, Phoenix, Milwaukee, and I believe Baltimore, if I didn't say Baltimore. I should have wrote those down because now, it's, if I didn't mention seven, it is seven total. Why those cities? Well, first of all, we always say we go to communities of need. But when I say that, though, we know almost every city in the country 
has the need, right, and could use a fellowship across the country. Black men, for example, are only 2% of teachers, right? And so we know that every city needs more men of color in education. We could use it in every city. But why those cities? It's really because the community supported the program or asked for the program. In my terms, when I say support, I mean, first of all, financial support. And so, like, for example, in Milwaukee, we have funding support from the city and the state level. We have support from corporations and foundations as well as individual donors. So we need that funding support from the community. But we also need the support from the community in other ways. So we need high schools and people that work with young men to support the program because we need every year, as you said, we need a whole new cohort of young men that are committed and passionate and excited about this work. We need support during the year. So when I talk about that personal professional development, I don't want to be the one to talk about financial literacy. I want, I would love for experts in the community to come talk about that or healthcare. So we need that kind of support throughout the year. And then, of course, at the end of the year, we want support in hiring and supporting them in next steps, whether it's higher education or employment or both. In Milwaukee, we have, I'm excited to say all of our fellows that are finishing this year already have job commitments next year. And so that kind of support is also really powerful. So that's why those cities, because we had the full mix of support. We have other cities that ask about the program often, and then we explain kind of what we need. And we go through that process of like, how do we build up that community of support before we really launch a program? First of all, congratulations on the fact that all of this year's fellows have jobs. I'm not surprised to hear this. I, having met them and it's pretty amazing and they all have, they come from different backgrounds, different situations. All of them have different interests. But one of the things that you were able to do this spring, this past spring was you hosted a summit and the goal of that summit was to convene people to talk about the state of education, right? To talk about ways that you are enhancing pathways for young men of color to become educators and other things like that. Talk to us about the summit. What did you learn that day? How did that day go? Yeah. So I think kind of coming back to my last question, that summit was really about how do we rebuild the community of support? Well, some of it was kind of lost through COVID as we all you know, we're very isolated and really had to just find out our own work and things while we tried to pivot as many of us had to do, whether it was virtual or whatever we had to pivot to. And so that was a little bit about how do we build the community of support, reconnect one another, and then also see who else should be added to that community of support in Milwaukee. And so it was a convening where we're going to talk about the need for young men of color in education. We brought together many great partners, but I always say that like a lot of the people there, whether that was a college or university like UWM School of Education or other programs, programs, say city or some of our school partners are there, you know, like other nonprofits, summer camps were there represent a lot of great place people were represented. But all those people, I would say, I think having young men of color in their programs is a nice to have for them, right? They will exist, whether there's young men working at the Boys and Girls Club or not. For a leading men fellowship, though, we don't exist without it's a need to have. But also we're trying to help show everybody that really it's not really a nice to have. This diversity kind of piece is a need to have in every space, right? So we're really showing that it's really not just a nice to have. We really need to have more young men in it. And so that's kind of what we bring everybody together around this idea of how do we build this pipeline from K through 12 to career in terms of young men of color and education. So you lifted a few ways that people can support the work, but let's remind our listeners again, what are you looking for? How can people best support 
the leading men fellows. Yeah, I think that changes as depending on what time of the year it is, maybe. What's most important right now, we're in the recruitment mode. So I'm excited to say we have our fellows that are finishing out the year and they're going to go off to do some great things. But now we're also at the same time, while we send them off, we're also looking for a new cohort. And so we are out in high schools talking to young men. We are at we're at the mall. We're at block parties and job fairs. We go to faith-based groups and churches and things, right? And so we are talking to anybody and everyone that works with young men or knows young men. We would love for you to send young men our way, nominate them, tell us about them, and we'd be happy to follow up and see if they're interested and get them through the process. It is a job. So there is a hiring process that we want to go through. Really, recruitment is one thing. Like I said, it's some of the other supports. And so say you're looking to hire young people, young men of color, please come talk to us. We love to give you a space to share your job opportunities with our fellows as they go through the year. Some of them might even be looking for jobs during the year. So we're a part-time job. So many of our fellows either work a second job or maybe they go to school. And so there's opportunities they could be taken advantage of during the year. If you have expertise in certain areas, we'd love to know about them because whether that's talking to them about, like I said, their identity or healthcare, writing a resume, maybe you'd love to come in and be a guest presenter or guest speaker. And so really, I think those are the three main areas that I could think about. It's really that recruitment piece, hiring our fellows, or maybe supporting them in some area that young men are looking for extra information on. Will you tell us about a few fellows that you have really connected with and maybe some unique stories about one or two that our listeners would find interesting? Yeah, um, I'm going to think about two of our alumni because, you know, they're uh, doing great things now. They're both working as pre-kindergarten teachers. One of them is David Tate. I think his story is always fascinating because he always talks about how he really didn't think about teaching as a career. She says he was working like at a car wash and just saw that the Leadman Fellowship was paying more than his current job. So he said, all right, I like more money per hour. I'll give it a shot. Turns out he had an amazing experience and now has been a teacher for the last five years. He's a, a tremendous teacher in the classroom, but also just a great representation of what young men can provide to a classroom, a school community. He's a vibrant personality. He's so affectious and contagious. And then there's another young man I think about, too, is Antron Turner. So I think about him because he talks about openly he hated school. Hmm. And so, but ironically, I think his mom actually either owns some child care centers or works at child care centers, right? And so he kind of knew about it, but still was like, uh, I don't know about this, right? But signed up anyways because his friend had done it the year before. And so he gave it a shot and went from hating school to now talking about he wants to open up his own school one day or run his own school. So I think about those stories and how transformational this program can be in terms of shifting their mindset about, you know what, actually, I can be a teacher. Or, you know, I belong in education as a career as a, in this whole field. Yeah, that certainly seems to be a lot of the transformation that I have seen. And I have just witnessed it on a very small scale. But it's so inspiring, Bernard. And I would imagine that every day, I would imagine that your work is challenging, can be challenging, but it's also fulfilling. What is most fulfilling about what you get to do on a daily basis? That's an easy answer. And it's the fellows. It's the most fulfilling part of the work for me. When I see them find purpose through the year, identify that purpose, that's really, I think, that's most fulfilling. You can see young men that are, either they didn't go to school, never thought about themselves as going to higher education or doing anything maybe beyond high school, um, really find that, like, you know what, I really like this teaching thing, and now I'm going to go back to maybe MATC or UWM and get this associate's degree, get my bachelor's degree. And it really gives them that motivation to continue on pursuing more and more for their lives. I think that, to me, is, like, the most rewarding piece because I think of myself, when you go through that 
pivotal point. Like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, and I think just seeing them find that purpose, I think I just love that. Yeah, I think you captured it so well. If people did want to find out more about the Leading Men Fellowship, how do they do that? Yeah, so you can go to our website. It's theliteracylab.org. And then there's a link to our Leading Men Fellowship specifically. So you'll see the Literacy Lab does do two programs. The one we have in Wisconsin is the Leading Men Fellowship. So you're welcome to go to our website, find out more. Or you can feel free to reach out and email me. I'm sure you'll put my contact information attached to this podcast. So they can feel free to reach out and email me. I'd love to follow up with them. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much. Today, listeners, we had the wonderful opportunity to hear from our friend Bernard Roming talking about education to career pathways and why representation in the field matters. Thanks so much, Bernard. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. Be sure to catch all eight enlightening episodes. And don't forget to connect to On the Edge of Equity, with Tammy Belton Davis, available wherever you get your podcasts.